We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be finishing the verses of chapter 4 here today. I titled the sermon, Refiner's Fire, and uh, it's been a long time since we've sung that old song, but I think that song nails these verses perfectly. Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is what? Is to be holy, holy. It didn't say comfortable. We didn't say pain-free. We didn't say uh, walking through the park on sunny days only. We said holiness. That is so right and so fitting for the passage that we're going into today. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. I would encourage you once again, on the back of your uh, bulletin, there is some sermon notes. This is uh, an impossible sermon to remember all of these points, and so would encourage you to take those notes, fill in the blanks, and especially these questions that I want to send you out with, six questions today that will help you as you walk through the trials and the tests that we all will experience in various ways. First of all, just a word about Christianity and suffering. Some carry a, a message that is false, and they say that to come to Jesus means to escape all hardship and trial. He will make your life smiley and awesome, and you'll be rich, and your business will succeed, and, and your marriage is going to be flawless. Your kids are going to be just little angels all the time. You're never going to get sick because God doesn't want you to be sick, right? He just wants you to be happy and comfortable and wealthy, and you get like enough of that garbage. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. So if you are here today and you have heard that proclaimed, let me tell you, that is absolutely backwards from what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus says just the opposite. He said, you come to me and trust me, it's going to get harder, but I will be with you. And that makes all the difference. I will be with you in the midst of whatever you face. I will be with you there. Christianity and suffering. Suffering comes in a variety of forms. I would say it this way. This is a helpful way to think, especially when we come to verses that, that speak specifically about persecution. But I want to see these in a larger view here today. Not just persecution, but any trial, great or small, Christian, that you encounter on the path of obedience to God is a trial that comes from God. It comes providentially in His sovereign and all-wise purpose, and it comes lovingly. Okay, think of this now. I'm talking everything from, from heartburn to a heart attack. Everything from, from, from a, a soundboard that goes haywire 40 minutes before the service is supposed to start to the diagnosis is stage four. You have weeks, if not days. Everything in between. Any trial, great or small, that you encounter on the path of obedience to God. I'm not talking about the trials that you heap up on yourself because of unrighteous living. I'm talking about the trials that come your way that seem random. They're not. They are not. There is nothing random in God's universe. That trial comes from God with a purpose. It comes providentially and lovingly for your good. Why can I say this? Well, there is a verse that declares this 
Romans 8.28. We know that God causes, what is the word there? All things, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose for us? Holiness. Holiness. That we would be holy like Jesus Christ, purified by the refiner's fire. So, let's look at how Peter walks us through these points. We remember again that he's addressing believers who are under persecution currently and facing a huge wave of, of violent persecution. Number one, the purpose of God in suffering. The purpose of God in suffering, be it small and <clears throat> what seems like every day, or persecution and even execution. There is a purpose of God. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You see, those who who push this prosperity gospel have this very problem. Guess what? Trials continue to come. Even though you're a Christian, you still face trials. And for those who hear the prosperity gospel, they say, well, wait a second. I thought you said that if I followed Jesus, my life would be so much better and easier and without trials. Peter's saying just the opposite. Don't even be surprised. Expect it. Expect it. A few words stick out to me here. Fiery trial. Fiery trial. The idea that that this carries is that refiner's fire. The purifying of gold. If you see gold and you want to see it as pure and precious, what do you do? You refine it. That is the Lord's purpose in your life, believer. He seeks to make you holy. And in order to do that, He will put you in the furnace of affliction. For your good. It's a test. It's a test. Not a test like, let's see if he can handle this. No. The test is, will, will they trust me? Will they grow? Will they move forward in the Christian life? Here it comes. This is to be expected. This is this is normal Christian living. It's not like something's wrong. Expect this. This is what it looks like when you put gold in the furnace, the crucible, as it were. I I like this picture, especially because you see the, the hand behind it. God stirring the gold, seeking to move all of the impurities to the surface and and burn out that which lingers in us of the darkness, of sin. God will, in love, regularly heat up the furnace. This is His love. Don't question Him. Don't say, God, where are you? I thought you loved me. No, that is His love. It's His love. Oh, the faith to see it is that. The pain has a purpose. Christian, there is no pain in your life that has not met you with a purpose. The pain that you know in whatever you face in the path of obedience comes to you with a purpose. The soundboard this morning came to us dead with a purpose, and the purpose was 
set on display as God answered prayers. There's probably 10,000 things he was doing. But we witnessed his answer to prayer. We called out to him. It was a refining test because, oh, the anxiety in me rose right up past my ears as I'm driving in. And I know Henry and Jay, we were all feeling that. Fight back. Trust you, Lord. You're good. You're faithful. It's going to be okay. Even if it doesn't work, we're going to be okay. Every pain that you have experienced has purpose. That changes everything. Changes the way you think about trials and suffering. Count it all joy, James says. Count it all joy. What does that mean? Choose to believe that this is a cause for rejoicing. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, that's the same thing that Peter's saying, the testing, the refining The purification of your faith, the strengthening of your faith produces steadfastness or patience, endurance. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That is mature, lacking in nothing. God puts the weight on the weight bar to strengthen our faith, not to to punish us, not to put us in situations that, that we just get completely destroyed by? No. He is strengthening us and showing us His power in our weakness, His love in our darkness. So the first question I would encourage you to ask whenever you face a trial, whenever you come into a moment of pain or suffering, is this question, how can I grow? How can I grow? The question, why, is rarely fruitful. The We don't have access to the why of how God moves. Most of the time, we don't know. His ways are not our ways. He is is above us. He is all-wise. We see this tiny little window into reality. He sees everything in its fullness from all time. The question is, Lord, how can I grow? How are you growing me? What is this meeting me with in such a way that I will grow? And become more holy through the fiery work that I face right now. Second, verse 13, the privilege of suffering for Christ. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are being persecuted, you are experiencing um, uh, harm in whatever way that looks because you are a Christian. And years ago, I may not have thought of this as much, but friends, we, we live in times where if you don't play the pronoun game, which is lying, you can lose your job. Uh, where if you don't uh, pull back from what the scriptures say, you can be called a bigot and, and, and all kinds of problems can ensue. But that's who we are. We, we love. We don't affirm that which is false, and we certainly don't call sin good and, and evil right. No. It's loving to stay to the word and speak what is true. If you suffer in connection to those things, it is a privilege. This is an amazing verse. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see the the hashtag blessed, right? Blessed. Hashtag. You know, vacation's awesome. Everyone's smiling. 
So everything's going great, and the tulips are coming up. I, I just put a post up the other day. The, the trees are blossoming. Blessings, springtime blessings. Amen, true. The same is true when it all falls apart. You see what he's saying? Rejoice when you lose your job because you stand firm on the Word of God. Hashtag blessed. Rejoice, Christian. There is no shame there. There is a partnership, a joint suffering with Christ. Do you remember when Saul, before he was saved, was persecuting Christians and the Lord knocked him to the ground? Jesus himself appeared to Saul and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not just them. When you are persecuted, Christian, Jesus is persecuted. We are blessed and we can rejoice when we share in the sufferings of Christ. There is a special joy that is stored away when you rejoice for suffering for the sake of the name of Christ. And that joy is going to be realized when he returns. If you are ashamed of me in this moment, in this life, you're missing the opportunity for joy to come. One of the reoccurring themes of the New Testament is this. Suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. Jesus' own life displayed this. He came in humility and he was the suffering servant before he was the triumphant king. The same is true for us. I think Peter's drawing this connection. First we must suffer, then we will rejoice in glory and the suffering will be a distant memory. So with an eye to what is coming, even in the suffering, we can sing. We can say thank you. I think Peter's echoing the words that he heard um, from Jesus. Here's how Paul puts it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, look at how he, look at how he thinks. This is how we should think. If we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, this is the proving grounds, right, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then he goes on to say this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How do you walk through the trials and the heartaches and the sufferings of these days? You keep your eyes fixed on what's coming. And as you do that, Christian, you will, with Paul, say these things. This suffering, compared to what's coming, is light and momentary. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Part of what is happening in the suffering is your future is getting ever brighter. As you suffer in faith, clinging to Him, as you take it on the chin for the name of Christ, your future increases in its glory. Rejoice, for great is your reward. That's the point. You are being rewarded for this suffering that you endure. Sometimes it's dark. How do you deal with darkness? Look for the light. Look for the light. Lock eyes with what you know is coming your way. I mean, what, 
What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is we die. We suffer and we die. Guess what? We win. We win. You don't die, Christian. You have life that death doesn't touch. You are invincibly alive in Christ, held eternally, and there is a reward that is coming for you. Rejoice. Rejoice. Even through the pain. Question number two then is, where is my hope? Oh, we need this question right away when we enter a trial. When I'm dealing with issues and, and, and circumstances, oh, my propensity, even this morning is, oh, oh, what do we do? Where should I go? Quick, someone run a radio shack. Oh, no, they're closed. You know, like, what, what do you do when the soundboard's dead? Where do you look? You look to what is true. You look to the hope. You look to him, you count it all joy. Where is my hope? Number three, our power in the midst of suffering. Our power in the midst of suffering. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Well, he just flat out says it. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Think of this. Don't be surprised when, when you carry the name of Christ. They killed Jesus, right? That, we carry the same name. We stand for exactly the same things, or we should. So when we meet with this kind of response, we can smile and be at peace and know this. We are blessed. I saw a man standing on the street corner, lovingly proclaiming the message of hope in the midst of a uh, very colorful um, pride parade of sorts. And he was uh, being opposed in all kinds of ways, called all kinds of names, and then someone took their drink and just completely poured it all over him to shame him. Rejoice. You are blessed. You're blessed. What is it that you can face that would take your joy? Answer, nothing. Nothing. Even direct attack, persecution, jail time, and death. Rejoice. Hmm. Where do we look? Listen to Jesus in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and, and persecute you. Blessed are you. Happy. Right? Happy. Are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you carry the name of Christ, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the way, the same Holy Spirit that led the prophets to speak boldly in their day and be killed for it, the same Spirit is in you, Christian. Rejoice. Be bold. For great is your reward in heaven. We don't want to try to get a martyr complex here. Our goal is not to try to suffer. We don't just try to be, you know, abrasive on purpose to try to stir up suffering, try to get coke thrown in our face. No. Our goal is love. Speak the truth in love. Reach the lost. Call the sinners to repent. 
And some, by God's grace, will hear that message and be saved. And others will hate that message and they will come at you. Rejoice. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think this is such an encouragement. Think of what's happening here. You know, sometimes when you read the the stories about the martyrs, you're like, I don't know if I could do that. Could, Could I stand with the facing, burning at the stake and, and, and stand with confidence like Stephen, face shining like the sun, preaching boldly all the way through when, when rocks pounded his head to death? Could I do that? The answer is in yourself, no. You can't. Neither could they. There is something special of the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon those who are in that moment under attack and persecuted. You could call this a a supernatural sustaining grace. He gives the words that are to be spoken. He gives the confidence, the fearlessness, and the faith to face even the fire. It's not in us. That's the point. It's not in us. But He is in us. That's the difference maker. One of my favorite psalms that I have cried out at points along the way in my life when my suffering was intense is this one. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. Oh, preach this to your heart. When you're struggling, when it's hard, when you're suffering, you don't know where to turn, look up. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? Heart, listen. Listen, heart. Feel this, heart. My Help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's the creator. He's got this, not me. He's got it. So the question number three becomes, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? When in the midst of the trial, ask this question, Christian, where does my help come from? Ultimately, it's not the doctors or the nurses. It's not the lawyers or the defense attorneys. It's, it's not the, the, the people that know me well and can advocate for me in the workplace. It is the Lord who is my help. If the world be against me, study Athanasius. Consider that man's life. Athanasius stood alone against the world. And his help was from heaven. And he walked faithfully, and the Lord blessed. And we are impacted today because of that example. Be like that in the dark. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Number four, our posture in the midst of suffering. How should we walk this out? What's the posture to be? How how do we respond when we, we are Attacked in these ways, when we go through suffering, verses 15 and 16, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Man, what an awesome encouragement that is. What's he calling us to? Well, he's he's saying... 
don't suffer because of unrighteousness, right? Our call is to suffer righteously, for righteousness, not unrighteousness. So we are not to be murderers or thieves or evildoers or meddlers, that is troublemakers. We, if we suffer because we're troublemakers, we are not representing the name. However, if we suffer because we are Christians, there is no shame there. No shame at all. There would be reason to, keep, to feel the guilt and the shame if we have been the reason for the suffering that we are dealing with. So let's be clear. If you live your life in, in ungodly ways and you are heaping up suffering on yourself, well, that's a completely different scenario. Praise God, he meets us in that place too. Even in our sins, even in our stubbornness and our rebellion, the gospel is good news there calls us out of that, but that's not what's to define us. Righteousness is to define us. We are to be a people who, if we suffer, we are to suffer shamelessly for righteousness' sake, for the sake of the name. Which means, if you are put in jail because you obey the Lord, keep your chin up. Right? Keep it, the, the, the inclination to feel ashamed, like, man, I feel like such a terrible guy. All I'm doing is just trying to stand on the word. You see these, these pastors and, and protesters being hauled off, handcuffed, and hauled off into jail, and how easy it would be to start feeling like, oh, man, maybe I am a terrible person. All of these authorities all around, they're telling me that I'm a horrible person. What does God say? What does God say? That's all that matters. Fear God and keep your chin up, Christian, so long as you are suffering for the sake of his name. Suffer righteously. When they had called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. This is Peter here. Remember that. And they let him go and then the, the disciples left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name, the name of Christ. You know, the, the word Christian was uh, originally kind of a, a slur. It was used by pagans. I think it was Agrippa who first used it to describe the early believers. And then it became a badge of honor. Christian you carry a name that is a badge of honor. So live in a way that brings worth and value and esteems the name. And if you suffer for that name, be glad. Don't be ashamed. The question then begs, in the midst of suffering, what is my identity? What is my identity? Who am I? I am a Christian I'm a Christian. That helps me interpret all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the scenario. Always remind yourself of who you are, Christian, at your deepest level of identity. You're forgiven. You're a saint already and not yet, right? You have a home in heaven. You are the child of the Most High God. You fear no wrath. You have only future joy and anticipation of inheritance with Christ. Number five, the purifying effect of suffering, verses 17 and 18. The purifying effect 
of suffering. This is at the very heart of it. For it is time, Peter says, for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes from uh, Proverbs 11, verse 31. And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? One of the things that Peter is saying here is that the stakes could not be higher. The difference between those who trust in Christ and those who reject Christ is wrath and and hell forever. We are preserved. So then you have to ask the question, well, wait a second, I... I thought the judgment was already taken care of. Why would he say, why would Peter tell us that judgment is beginning with the household of God? That's us, the church. What is the nature of this judgment and how is it different from the judgment that will befall the ungodly and the sinner? That's the question we have to ask. And here's the difference. One is a judgment of purification. The other is a judgment of wrath and punishment. One is a a judgment of discipline. The the Lord disciplines those he loves. The other is a, a judgment of destruction and damnation. So the Lord comes to his church and says, I love you, my bride. I am going to refine you with fire. I will apply the furnace so that you will be refined. To the ungodly and the sinner, the day will come where he applies retribution and wrath that they will be destroyed eternally in the fires of hell. The difference could not be more distinct. That's the nature of how God loves his church. Why does a church need refinement? (laughs) Where do we begin? Where do we begin? I am... Absolutely at a loss for words whenever I see these, uh, these clips of Andy Stanley and the things that he's saying from the pulpit, followed by tens of thousands of people as a pastor of the Word of God who is increasingly saying the opposite of the Word of God. He's a false teacher. Be discerning, Christians. Why does the church need refinement? Because that happens, and it happened back then. God loves his bride so much that he will apply the furnace so that that which is fake and false will fall away as dross and the gold will be refined. Times of trial reveal what is true. Anyone can play the game, stand up, sit down, say the right words, even stand in the pulpit and say stuff. That doesn't mean that they are true and the trial will often show what is false. Purification is needed. Friends, it's not just out there. It's in here too. All of us. We are works in progress. He who began a good work in you, Good Shepherd Bible Church, will finish it at the day of Christ Jesus. He's faithful. He will bring it to completion. We need discipline. We need purification. We need to be refined, all of us. Increasingly so, as the day draws near. We live in the end times, the final days. 
God's church will increasingly face greater and greater persecution. And she will shine brighter and brighter as that wedding dress is, 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 is washed of stain and, and, and mud and, and sin and all of this such that when the bride is presented finally before the groom, that dress will be white as snow. This is the work of God who loves us. I like how John Piper said it. Listen to this. When in the midst of suffering, remember this. God loves us so much that he will spare us nothing to get out of us what he hates, namely sin. He loves you too much to let, a, to let you continue to just run along, tangled up in the mess of sin, He will slow down your pace and put you under the weight of affliction such that you will stop and say, O Lord, my greatest desire is to be holy. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from within. Make me holy. That's what matters most. Happiness follows holiness. Remember that. True, lasting satisfying happiness always follows holiness. If you want to be a happy Christian, then obey the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Run in His way. Delight in His light. You will be happy there. The world offers all kinds of counterfeits, all kinds of false joy. It's a, it's a mirage in the desert. God's love is amazing. He is a committed Father to love us in this way all the way home. The question then becomes, how is God refining me? Oh, friends, ask this question when in the midst of trials, when you are struggling, when you are at your wit's end, when you've you got nothing left, look up, draw strength from Him and say, oh Lord, how are you showing my need for you? How are you revealing my, my tendency to look to self or sin instead of you. Refine me, O oh God. What a prayer that is to pray. Refine me. Purify my heart. Number six, the path of righteousness in suffering. The path. How do we walk it out? How do we move forward when we can't even imagine doing another day like this? How do we move forward? Here is the, the path forward. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. What a mind-blowing statement that is. That's a mind-blowing statement. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God can and does intend, will, ordain that you go through trials, suffering, even heartaches. This is a God-ordained gift. It is, it is given by God, but it comes, my friends, with a purpose. One of the greatest goals of God in the gift and the blessing of trials and suffering is this, that we trust Him more than we knew we ever could. That He shows Himself faithful 
another time, again. And, and that when we share this prayer request, when we tell others we are struggling here, we would ask you to pray. Please, please join us in prayer. Guess what? They witness it too. We share together in one another's burdens and struggles and, and, and trials, and we rejoice when the Lord shows himself faithful again and again and again. Entrust your soul. Why, why, why this language? Entrust it. This is faith talk. Entrust not just the trial, but your very soul, the very core of all that you are. Your whole self. Entrust your soul. That means if you die, so be it. So be it. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Now, he could have said to your faithful Savior, to your faithful God. He says, goes all the way back to the beginning. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator. What is that pointing out to us? It points to a God who is absolute and overall. He is the beginner, the creator. He speaks words and from nothing he creates. He is the one who formed you. He formed you. Your soul found its origin in God. So entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Oh, the word faithful there is huge. When you walk through the fire, it will not burn you. When you go through the waters, they won't overwhelm you. Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know, in that call to worship, it said the creator. I am your creator. I am the one who formed you. And then walk in obedience. Walk with a display of good works. So part of this then becomes, this, how, can I, how can I display good works? Leads us to the question, how will I trust and obey God today? You don't have to figure this out for the rest of, of the trial or even for tomorrow. It's today. Lord, help me to trust you today and obey you today. How can I show forth the fruit of righteousness and obedience in my life? How can I point other people to your faithfulness today? One of the hardest aspects of suffering is long and, and, and just steady, ongoing suffering. It's the marathon that makes this hard. When you suffer with chronic pain or long ranging battles of, of suffering or trials. How do you do it? This is how you do it. One day at a time. I trust you, God. I trust you today. And I obey from the heart. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to question your hand or complain or gripe or moan or, 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 or say, where were you? I thought you loved me. No, I'm going to trust you. You're faithful. God is good. God is able. He is faithful and He is at work even in the greatest trial you could ever face. Our response this morning, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said it this way, Those who dive in the seas of affliction bring up the rarest pearls. Who do you know that this is true of? I want you to think about the people you know as believers who have suffered the most. Chronic illness, all kinds of heartache and loss and pain, 
go to them and you ask them, what have you tasted of our faithful God? How has he met you in that place? What have you learned? How can you bless me with this perspective of your suffering that will equip me for whatever I may face? Now, we don't all suffer the same way, do we? The suffering is far-ranging. It's, it's all different kinds of suffering. But we suffer. Let me share you uh, uh, some quotes from a lady who has suffered greatly in the seas of affliction and has brought up some spectacular pearls. Her name is Vanitha Reznor. She wrote a book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me. I recommend it to you. Um, if it's not on the shelf, it will be soon. She had 21 surgeries by age 13. She dealt with intense bullying in school, the kind of bullying that is just overwhelming. Um, years she spent in the hospital, in, like not just months, years of her life. Multiple miscarriages as a young wife. And then when she had her son, I think he was about six months old, there was a decision made by a doctor that it ended up killing him. She lost her son. After all of the, 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 the loss in trying to have children, her son was taken through a medical mistake. She continues to fight a progressive, debilitating disease, has dealt with intense chronic pain most of her life. She has experienced abandonment and now has gone through an unwanted divorce. That is diving in the seas of affliction. And I will say this. Every single thing she has faced has come to her by a God who loves her. Listen to her own words. A few years ago, she said, I met with a friend who believed that while God draws near to us in our trials, that people suffer in ways God never intended. She felt that believing that God has permitted all our suffering was completely against God's loving character, hurtful at best and vindictive at worst. Personally, Vanitha says, I could not disagree more. Listen to the pearls that she's brought up. My belief that God has a purpose for our suffering has offered me life-giving hope in the wake of unspeakable sorrow. I understand it sounds cruel to say that God willed my infant son's death, but believing that my son died against God's will is far worse. That would mean... That God is not in control. Do you see how the sovereignty of God is at the very core of stabilizing those who suffer? Evil can ultimately win and my future then would be uncertain. It would mean that my son's death was random and meaningless. Wow. I honestly cannot imagine a more depressing scenario. As someone who has endured adversity, my greatest comfort is knowing that God is sovereign. He has ordained all of my trials. All of them. It's true of you as well, believer. And therefore, my suffering has a purpose. Purpose. That one word changes everything. It comforts me when the pain envelops me and the darkness is my closest friend. God does not delight in my suffering, but weeps with me as he did in John 11. But his tears are not all that he gives me. He gives me hope and assurance that my suffering is not in vain. It is comforting to know that God sins, uh, that, that everything God sins is the best possible thing 
for me. Nothing can derail his plan. No sin, no accident, no affliction. Satan does not have the last word on my suffering. God does. He is in it all. I will never know all that God is doing in my trials, but I have seen that he has refined my character. He has drawn me closer to him and enabled me to minister to others through my afflictions. She concludes this. It is my earnest prayer that through my suffering, the works of God are being displayed in my life. That's where Peter takes us. My greatest joy is that my suffering has a purpose. Yours does as well. To God be the glory. That's a sister, my friends. A sister who has experienced tremendous adversity, most of which goes far beyond what we have experienced here. If she can say that, if Peter can say that, if Paul can say that, if Jesus can say that, and so can I, and so can you, Christian. Let's pray. Oh God, we delight in your hand that is in absolute control over everything, in every place, in all ways. You are sovereign. You are providential. God, we thank you that we will meet with nothing in this life that has not passed through the grid of your all-wise purpose for us in love to allow it to come to pass. You are not evil. You do not do evil. You do not tempt us, Lord. You are good. You are faithful. We trust you when we meet with trials. We look to you when we walk through pain. We thank you that we can know for sure that our pain has a purpose and it meets us with the goal of refining fire. Lord, thank you for your love, not only that comforts us, but that stirs the gold in the crucible, that would stir out the impurities of our sin and our lack of faith and our self-righteousness and dependency upon everything else but you, Lord. Burn it out. Make us holy, we pray. Help us to suffer for the sake of the name without shame forever to the end, Lord, until you come find us faithful that we might delight in the glory that is to be revealed when you meet us face to face. Oh, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.